Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Scout team to two-time national champion. Stetson Bennett's college football career closes as one of the greatest stories in the sports history as Georgia repeats as national champions with ease. We'll take a look at how the dogs stayed motivated, and then we'll give way to a couple late predictions. This is the Saturday Cadence podcast presented by the Silver Bulletin. Blake Biscardi and Dave Worth, I'm with you as we recap the national championship game with a margin of victory we will never see again. Dave, let's start with unpacking the complete domination by the Georgia Bulldogs in Los Angeles that we saw in SoFi. Yeah, I mean, this was hardly a game. Um, Georgia jumping out to the lead on their first possession, up 10-0. TCU gets a long play, punches it in. It's 10-7. You're like, okay, you know, maybe we'll have a game for a while here. And from there, it was hardly a game. And Georgia runs up 63 points, 65 points, excuse me. Uh, Stetson Bennett throws for 300 yards and four touchdowns without looking like he's really trying. They put in the backups, and that was pretty much all she wrote. So, uh, you know, we talked about on the show a couple of times about TCU magic and how all year they were winning these close games. Obviously, they lost to Kansas State, but they beat Michigan. And we thought, okay, you know, maybe they're legitimate. They're for real. Ohio State hung in there with Georgia. Maybe Georgia's not invincible. Um, And it turns out that that Ohio State-Georgia game really was the national championship game, right? Um, as, as TCU just really didn't even show up. And, and that game was was pretty much uncompetitive from the start, save for that one long play that TCU had in the first quarter. And obviously, as a college football fan, you're disappointed. But, you know, give credit to Georgia. They went out there and played a dominant game, and they're back-to-back champions. Yeah, just from watching the game early on, you saw they came out of the tunnel. Georgia just has that edge. They have the experience. They'd been there before their first series. They go down and do anything they wanted. They scored with ease. And uh, they got TCU to go three and out. Then they get TCU to go three and out again, but commit a holding penalty. Then they get TCU gets a first down. Boom. Then there's a fumble and Georgia scores again. So now it's 10, nothing. And then TCU answered with a touchdown. We thought, Hey, we might have a game. Nothing after that, just complete domination. Every facet Georgia was better. It almost looked like the stage might've been too big for TCU in a sense like that, getting to the national championship. I know sometimes people speculate when Oklahoma gets, in the plow for Michigan State or Notre Dame in those years, even Ohio State in 2016, all those teams who have gotten blown out if they were worthy to be there or maybe if they wouldn't have enough for two wins, they just have enough for that one victory. And TCU was that first team that had enough for that first victory and they beat Michigan. And how much of that was Michigan doing things wrong and TCU doing it right? But that's why football's played and TCU earned their way to the national championship game But unfortunately, they had nothing left in the tank last night. And there was a different feel to both teams watching how Georgia went about their business and how TCU went about their business last night. And that was really the difference in the game there and how Georgia just every single area dominated. Yeah, it was interesting after the game, uh, Chandler Morris for TCU, the backup quarterback, who was actually the starter at the beginning of the year before uh, Max Duggan took over after injury. Uh, he said after the game that, you know, they're not on the same tier of an Alabama or a Georgia right now. Um, and, you know, he says that they're going to try and get there. Obviously, he said, we'll use it as confidence. But, 
you know, he's right. They're just not on the same tier as an Alabama or a Georgia right now. And, you know, you look at a team like TCU and, and we see this every year, right? There's three or four teams that seem to have a legitimate chance to win the national championship every single year, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, maybe you throw Clemson in there. Um, Every once in a while, you'll get a team like an LSU that'll have a great year, Florida State, whoever the case may be. But for the most part, it's Ohio State, it's Georgia, and it's Alabama right now. And, and you know, you, Michigan beat Ohio State, but they lost to TCU, who couldn't hang with Georgia, who Ohio State probably should have beat. Um, so obviously, college football is a weird sport, but when you just look at the consistency overall, you know, Chandler Morris and, and TCU is right. You know, they're just not on that level right now. And we saw it last night. Yeah, just using that transitive property there, seeing like seeing the talk of the final rankings. And all right, Georgia, they win the national championship again, they're number one. But who do you rank two, three, and four? And okay, Ohio State played the best game against Georgia all season. They should be two. But Michigan beat them, but TCU beat Michigan. So who's two? And if you look at that pool of teams, like you're saying, there's only certain teams who can win the national championship every year. And then we have a few other pretending teams or teams that take a shot deep into November, like Tennessee. And football is a game of matchups. And when you look at how those different teams are built, Michigan is a very good football team and they beat Ohio State. But we saw Michigan play Georgia last year. Michigan's not built yet to match the speed on the perimeter that Georgia or Alabama would have. Whereas Ohio State, who can get beat by Michigan with that old school power smash mouth football in the Big Ten and being rivals, but then they go play Georgia and you see Ohio State's wide receivers and that perimeter speed just take advantage of a secondary or they're able to match Georgia on defense or, or vice versa. And that's just really the difference. And when you see how those teams are built, that's how you get your pool of true national championship contenders all year. So regardless, the peach ball was the de facto national championship game. If you're just looking at roster talent and recruiting and things of that nature with the sport. And that is why college football is different because you can have games like that early as a semifinal regular season matchup. And then a team like TCU find their way to the title game. Yeah, we saw it all year, right? It was a wacky year. We had a lot of upsets. Uh, we had Alabama going down twice on the final play. Uh, we had Ohio State getting blasted by Michigan at home. And, you know, obviously several other major upsets sprinkled in. And, um, you know, recruiting rankings don't necessarily lie, but, you know, you might get a team like Texas A&M that comes in there with a million five stars and then loses to Appalachian State. And, you know, it just makes you wonder how consistent how impressive really it is that teams like Ohio state and Alabama and Georgia have been as consistent as they are. Um, and then you have those other rotating spots in the last couple of years, Michigan, TCU, uh, LSU, um, et cetera, whoever else has gotten in Clemson has gotten in a few times in the last couple of years. And uh, even though they've missed the last two, but you know, it, it give, give credit to Georgia here. I mean, they have been the most consistent team in the last couple of years. You know, you don't beat them. Um, they play their game. They play it the way they play it. They recruit well, and, and you're seeing the fruits of their labor. And, um, you know, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon, especially with the, with the talent that they have coming in once again. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make there. And when you look at, at those kind of teams and how Georgia is built and everything, and you see the, the four and five stars they bring in consistently, and you look at a team like Texas A&M, who's brought in four and five stars over the last couple of seasons, and you wonder – okay, well, if you're saying recruiting matters like that and the best players and the teams with the most talent should win those games, then why isn't Texas A&M in the mix? Well, then you have to look at player development. Player development is just as important, if not more important, than recruiting. It's one thing to have that talent 
already on your roster. It's another thing to develop it. And that might be why Clemson hasn't made the last two college football playoffs. Maybe their player development is lacking. We've saw DJU regress the last couple of years there. And now he's in the transfer portal. Though we'll have to roll with Clay, Cade Klubnik. And then you look at a team like Georgia, who's maximizing every ounce of talent in their room and on that roster. And they've got guys coming right behind them. They replaced seven starters on that defense from last year. And their defense was still good enough to win the national championship. They held TCU to under 200 yards in the national championship game. That's just unheard of in today's offensive driven sports. So it just pegs the question, is Georgia the next dynasty here in college football now going back to back? They're first to do that in the playoff era. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. But you also got to remember they were a play away from losing to Ohio State just a week ago. Um, so, you know, college football is a pretty fickle sport. There's a reason why you don't have many back-to-backs. You'll get this 12-team playoff soon, and that'll probably uh, decrease that number of back-to-backs even more. Um, but I think Georgia will certainly be one of those 12 teams pretty much every single year. I think it would take a lot for them to not be there as long as Kirby Smart is the head coach and they just keep doing what they're doing, which doesn't seem to be too much of a problem, especially in the SEC. And, um, you know, for Georgia specifically, I, I think that, they are at the point where, you know, they're going to be number one every year until they're not just like Alabama has been for the last 10 years. I think now it's Georgia's turn. They're going to be number one until someone can prove that they're not number one. Um, and that's, that's how it's always been with Alabama. Um, you know, they're, they're always going to be number one preseason rankings, whatever. I think they were number one preseason rankings this year. If not, it was, it was probably Georgia. And um, I think that that'll certainly continue here. And, uh, you look at what Kirby Smart has done. You mentioned replacing seven starters on defense, but they've had to replace coaches. They've had to replace um, major offensive players. They did it this year with their two best offensive weapons being their tight ends. You know, we haven't seen that kind of style of football since, you know, the 60s or the 70s. And Georgia's out here doing it in, in 2022, 2023 um, with two of their best, with their two best weapons on offense being their tight ends. And you know, it's just pretty impressive to watch how they've done this. They, they really have gone back to old school football on some level with, you know, a pocket passer quarterback, strong running game, strong offensive line, strong tight end play, a really solid defense that produces a lot of pros. Um, and, and that's just how they've won games the last couple of years. And, you know, they say defense is making, making a, a comeback here in college football. I wouldn't sure I'd go that far, but um, the way that Georgia has been able to produce results, you wonder if other teams should, should kind of, take a look at their approach and, and maybe try and do things some of the ways that Georgia's doing them. Not only has Georgia adapted with that style of offense using the tight ends, but Brock Bowers is arguably the best player on the field when Georgia's offense is out there. And that's a whole other story is when was the last time a tight end was the best player on the field? I mean, you're looking at Kyle Pitts at Florida, maybe for in recent memory like that. So it's not every day you see an offense that features two tight ends in the way that Georgia does and how dynamically they get them involved in the game. I mean, Brock Bowers looks like an H-back out there sometimes. He can play all different roles. And we saw A.D. Mitchell was hurt for Georgia this year, and he came uh, back here in the last two games and and had key catches and made his impact. And same thing, Lad McConkey, he was out. And Georgia was still able to right the ship and keep the offense moving because it centered around that toughness and that drive from, led by Stetson Bennett and the running backs and the tight ends, just that core of old-school football. And they were able to – have success all year long. They can grind out games, or we saw in the national championship, they can beat you 65 to seven. And to play devil's advocate with Georgia as well, what if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt? And what if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hit, hurt? Or 
what if Ohio State makes the kick? Like you can look at those what ifs with Georgia and say, oh, we can put an asterisk on there. Georgia didn't beat a healthy Alabama or a healthy Ohio State. Okay, but again, yes, that's fair, but that's part of the game of football. That's why we play the game. Darnell Washington went out against Ohio State. So what would the game been like if he stayed in? Or if Jameson Williams played Alabama, beat them by multiple scores. So it's all those what ifs and everything, but Georgia found a way, no matter what in their circumstances, they worried about controlling what they can control. And they, they won the moment more than the other opponents did. And that's the bottom line and why they were able to have so much success here and be back-to-back champions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, luckily for them or unluckily, however you want, unluckily for us as fans and lucky for Georgia, that game last night just wasn't even close. Um, you know, totally uncompetitive. And, um, you know, the, we, we saw during the week a lot, of, a lot of pundits and people on social media say, you know, TCU, they got a good chance here. Everybody's sleeping on TCU. And, you know, as someone who, who, who likes to think I've watched a lot of college football, after watching that Ohio State-Georgia game and watching the TCU-Michigan game, it just seemed like that Ohio State-Georgia game, as I mentioned earlier, really was the national championship game. I didn't see the winner of Michigan-TCU being able to hang with Georgia. And I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but it proved true uh, there last night as, as Georgia puts up the most points in, in championship game history here and the biggest margin of victory in championship game history and, and decimates a TCU team that, that looked more like an FCS opponent than they did a championship contender, really. Yeah, and the feel around Ohio State-Georgia had that big game feel to it. It had national championship vibes, that aura to the game. And last night, or in the national championship there, Kirby Smart said that his defense did not play up to standard and Georgia didn't have their best game. And part of that was because they were playing Ohio State, and Ohio State's very good. So it's not you're not just going to roll over on every team you play just because you're Georgia and just because you're good. But what was really unique with what Kirby Smart was able to do this year is he was able to motivate his team and keep them hungry despite being the defending champions. And he was doing that by saying, they don't think you can repeat. They don't think this defense is going to be any good because we just lost those many starters. They don't think the offense can be as dynamic this year. And Georgia elevated that offense and they played good enough defense. It wasn't bad. It wasn't stellar like it was last year, but it was still very good defense. They were solid. And those guys responded to that sense of motivation and we saw Nolan Smith say they thought we were going to go seven and five. I don't know if we would go that far with saying people thought Georgia would go seven and five or even eight and four, but no one thought Georgia was going to finish 15 and 0 and undefeated. So it's, it is remarkable and it is very impressive. And congratulations to Kirby Smart and Setson Bennett and his entire team there and what they were able to do winning back to back championships. But it was special to see what Georgia did this year. Yeah, that's that's something that Kirby learned from his old boss, Nick Saban, right? I mean, that's yep. that's a classic Nick Saban thing to do. They're mm-hmm. disrespecting us. We're the underdogs. Obviously, it's not true. Georgia was ranked number three coming into this year, and so obviously that just wasn't true. But it goes to show you, you know, how much motivation is important and how much these players really actually did feed off that. Oh, definitely. And then you look at a guy like Stetson Bennett, and he started as a walk-on and on the scout team. And now he's a two-time national champion. And he even admitted to it in a pregame interview that they aired before the game that he was, he said, I was scared. I was going to get benched last year. I didn't know if I was going to do it from one week to the next and continue to start. But this year he was able to come in with an edge to him and just want to prove it that it's his team. Let's see what he can truly do. There was no threat of JT Daniels behind him or any other quarterback taking his job. 
And now he finishes with four most outstanding player awards in all four of his starts in the college football playoff. He's won an SEC title and he's won two national championships. And there's not a long list of college football players who can boast a resume like that, especially starting from where Stetson Bennett did not being this highly touted four or five star kid who came in. No, he was a kid who grew up in Georgia. He had a dream of wanting to play for the Bulldogs and wear the red and black. He got there as a walk-on, and he earned his way to where he is now, and hats off to him for doing it. I have mixed feelings about Stetson Bennett. On one hand, you're absolutely right. You know, He certainly was the underdog coming in and came from a lot of adversity and wasn't expected to be the starter, let alone a two-time national champion. But if you look at it, the other side, right, this guy went into college before I did. I went to four years at Ohio State, graduated, and have been out for two years, and he's still in college. So, you know, you kind of got to look at it both ways. Like, this guy has been in college for a very long time. He has been around the Georgia program for a very long time. He has played with elite athletes for however long he's been there, six or seven years, whatever the number is at this point. Um, so, you know, you, you do give him credit, but on some level, you know, you got to think in the back of your mind, like, hey, like, this guy's been here a really long time. Uh, if he was in the NFL, he'd be on a second contract. So, you know, just something to think about. And obviously that's been discussed at length. I'm not the first one to bring it up, but, you know, hats off to him for winning two natties. But at the same time, I think it's it's probably good that he's moving on now. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's older than Lamar Jackson. So when you do look at it that way, it's <laughs> he's a man playing with boys. If you want to use that saying and just apply it to the matter is he's much older than most of those players. I mean, how old is CJ Stroud? How old is Max Duggan? How old is JJ McCarthy? Like if you compare those ages, Stetson right. Bennett is, you know, there's, there's a different aspect to that. I mean, I know you can even look at brain development and get into the science behind that of there's a whole lot to unpack there. If you're looking at his age and especially how long he's been around that Georgia program, plus the extra year of COVID eligibility, like that could become a factor as well. There's a lot to really unpack if you go into it, but bottom line is he got the job done. He maximized his time. If mm -hmm. you start as a walk-on, that's your dream to do exactly what he did. And he was able to accomplish that goal and achieve his dream. And again, you just have to tip your cap to him. Despite all the other factors, he got the job done. Absolutely. And, you know, you're playing by the rules there. There's no rule that says he can't play. So right. give him credit. He went out there and played and, and did the best job that he possibly could have. And that's win back to that national championship. So give him credit. But at the same time, I'm looking forward to next year watching a Georgia team with a new quarterback. I just think it'll be entertaining to see. Oh, for sure. And I mean, the dogs have a pretty favorable schedule again next year. I think 10 or more of their opponents had five losses this year on next year's schedule. So Georgia looks to be easy favorites to win the East and at least get to Atlanta to play in the SEC championship game. But they're favorites to win the national championship right now for next year at plus 300. Ohio State and Alabama right behind them. And then you'll have Michigan and USC uh, following those two. So it is going to be an interesting pool of teams next year for the national championship. We'll get a couple other teams involved there and the new quarterbacks. That's going to be the biggest storyline heading into 23 is who is going to have a new quarterback and who's going to return their starter right now. CJ Shroud has not made his decision yet. JJ McCarthy has to stay. So as of now, he's the only returning starter out of that top echelon. And then USC doesn't have a very good defense. So I'm not really adding them to that top elite tier of college football, but they return Caleb Williams. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like you said, Stroud has uh, not made a decision yet, and it makes you think maybe he's at least considering sticking around. 
at Ohio State for another year. By the time this uh, episode is out, we'll probably have a determination on that one way or another. And if we don't, then that probably means it's more likely that well, he ends up sticking around in Columbus for another year. But yeah, without, you know, no Bryce Young, um, it'll be interesting to see next year with Caleb Williams and um, Drake May and, and uh, Sam Hartman now at Notre Dame and plenty of other elite quarterbacks still to go around Cam Rising at Utah. And uh, as we discussed at length, that the Pac-12 really uh, might have the best quarterback grouping of any in the country uh, with DJU going out there. We mentioned Caleb Williams. And uh, so it'll be really interesting to see next year quarterback play. Obviously, this year was pretty good, but next year could he be even better. Uh, when you consider some of the additions that maybe those middle tier power five schools have made. And then a lot of the big time schools, Georgia, Clemson, uh, Ohio State, regardless of whether Stroud comes back or not, will have new five star prospects taking over the reins uh, for their respective schools as well. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's going to be extremely exciting to watch everything unfold with who declares for the draft and who doesn't over the next week or so, who enters the transfer portal. And just how all the rosters really shake out as we get into uh, actual signing day and then spring ball and and move into camp there. And we'll have all that coverage for you every step of the way as we continue our offseason coverage now. We'll bring you some way too early looks to 2023 soon and get to some transfer portal news. We'll keep you up to date on all that kind of information. But Dave, just now as we close the episode here, what was your final takeaway from last night watching the national championship and then just unpacking the 2022 season and reflecting on that. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, I stopped watching the game at halftime. The game was already pretty much over by then anyway. Uh, but as I was sitting there at halftime, you know, I was thinking it's been such a long season with so many twists and turns. Um, it's been such an interesting year compared to what we've had in the past. And, you know, not only with the on-field results, but now you get, you know, the record number of transfer portal entries and some coaching changes and things like that here that seem to make the offseason shorter, which is nice in that regard, although you kind of miss the continuity that you had from past seasons. But, you know, looking back on, on the 2022 college football season as a whole, I think I would say it lived up to expectations. You know, we really did have a lot of surprises, TCU being a surprise team, the Big Ten finally getting two teams in the playoff for the first time, and both of those teams playing competitive games, although not the results that either of them wanted. Um, you had the USC-Utah upset. You had big teams like A&M and Notre Dame suffering really bad losses. You had North Carolina lighting up the scoreboard for 70 points. Texas almost taking down Bama. They probably do if Quinn Ewers plays that game. And so many other storylines. You had a down year for Clemson, a down year for Oklahoma, and you know, just such an interesting season and, and plenty more to come this offseason as we build towards a 2023 that is shaping up to maybe even be even better than 2022 was with some of these teams uh, really building themselves through the transfer portal, utilizing that for the first time. We could see a lot more changes as we get closer to a 12-team playoff. So um, this almost felt like a rebuilding year of college football, right? You didn't really have that one super team. Georgia was the closest, but Ohio State played them tough. Missouri played them tough. Even Kent State played them tough. You didn't really have that invincible team like a 2019 LSU or a 2020 Bama. Um, so it was really a rebuilding year for college football as, as the game looks to take the next, next steps here with the transfer portal becoming a bigger factor and everything like that. So uh, looking back on it, I, I'll say I was satisfied with the season. Um, 
transfer portal deadline is next week and then we'll get ready for spring ball and go from there. Yeah. The news cycles are a lot shorter now because there's a lot more news. So it's constantly changing. You don't have to drag out coverage or anything. And that does allow for a more eventful off season, like you said. And I like how you coined the phrase of a rebuilding year of college football. And I think that's accurate. We're going to get the 12 team playoff in 2024 this year brought in the transfer portal NIL is becoming more prominent. Uh, schools are learning how to deal with that, forming collectives, all different kinds of deals that influences a transfer portal. You know, there's tampering allegations everywhere. There's just a lot to iron out right now in college football. And I think that will, and the 12 team playoff will be healthy for that. And just to lastly mention, you went through all the different teams and good storylines of this year. I want to give a quick shout out to Tennessee and Hendon Hooker for what they were able to do this season. Mm-hmm. It was great to have the volunteers uh, back on the national scene. They took down Alabama in one of the all-time classic college football games that you'll see lived up to the billing. Nealon was rocking all year long. And again, it really was a good season. I like the rebuilding year that you used again. And 2023 will live up to the billing there and be very exciting. And I think this offseason, the excitement and anticipation will build quickly toward 2023 and what uh, the future has in store. I agree. As the 12 team playoff gets closer, more of these teams are going to think, you know, I, Hey, we have a legitimate shot at, at not only getting in the playoff, but making a run here. And uh, I think it's good for the game. It absolutely is. And guys just continue to stay tuned to the Saturday cadence podcast here. As we transition to our off season coverage, we'll continue to bring you latest transfer portal news and keep you up to date on everything as we approach signing day and spring ball. Thank you for listening. It was a great 2022 season. We appreciate all of your listening and viewership, and we'll see you on next week's episode.